everyone, Valerie has been busy, so I am here yet again recording filler episodes. Today's an interesting episode as I discuss a composer who often evokes many mixed emotions inside of me. My name is Louie, and you're listening to the Musical Tangents. Welcome. So, a couple of episodes ago. I discussed Stephen Sondheim, who is one of the greatest composer lyricists in Broadway history. He obviously had a massive influence on my musical journey and impacted my overall composition styles and techniques. While Sondheim is still arguably one of the most important figures to me, I just feel like I have to discuss another figure that is often compared to Sondheim on Broadway and may have had some type of impact in my musical journey. And that is none other than Andrew Lloyd Webber. Webber shares the birthday with Sondheim. Webber was born also on March 22nd, 1948 in London, England. Unlike Stephen Sondheim, both of his parents were musicians. His father was a composer and organist, and his mother was a violinist and pianist. His younger brother is a world-renowned cellist named Julian Lloyd Webber. His exposure to theater seems to have been due to his aunt's career as an actress, and he showed interest in writing his own music when he was just nine years old. Another aspect that sets Webber apart from Sondheim is that Webber has never professionally written his own lyrics. He allegedly attempted many times without much success in writing his own lyrics that he was satisfied with. Um, And this is where it gets interesting. When he was 17 years old, he met a 20-year-old then aspiring pop songwriter, Tim Rice. This was the moment when they began their somewhat legendary collaboration that eventually shaped Weber's career as a Broadway composer. Together, Weber and Rice wrote musicals like Joseph and the Tec- uh, Amazing Technicolor Dream- Dreamcoat, which is mouthful, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Evita. With the success of these shows, Weber established himself as a renowned composer on Broadway along with Stephen Sondheim. The thing about Weber is that his shows with Tim Rice are not as well known as his shows with other collaborators that came out later in his career. While Jesus Christ Superstar is a rather well-known show as it became a reputable as a rock musical, and there has to be a quotation mark around it, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat wasn't produced on Broadway until 1980s. Um, Evita wasn't as successful as his other shows either, even though the show had actors like Patti LuPone, Mandy Patinkin, and Bob Gutton. His truer success seems to be with his later musicals, and then comes 1980s. The 80s was the highlight of Weber's career as a musical theater composer. That was when he wrote the probably two of his biggest hits, uh, the musical Cats and the Phantom of the Opera. These two shows are arguably the most commercially successful Broadway musicals of all time. 
continuing with his success, he also composed for the musical Sunset Boulevard in 1990s, which was yet another successful show, albeit not having as much commercial success as the two musicals from 1980s. And in my personal opinion, his success as a composer on Broadway really ends in 1990s, whether it be commercially or artistically. So why am I covering Weber extensively like this, going through all of his career in somewhat of a nitty-gritty detail? Well, the early exposure to musical theater for me was Weber's shows. I don't know about other people. But his shows almost always featured this catchy, swooning, ballad-like melodies. Uh, They almost had the Romantic Era's characteristics that made listening easy without much of thinking from the audience's perspective. It was very listenable. With the successful shows that he had composed in the past, I'm not sure if I can say confidently that he wasn't influencing me as a musician. However, as years have passed, I've grown to have mixed feelings towards him as a composer. So first, the positives. I still enjoy listening to the songs from Weber's musicals with a few exceptions. Songs from Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita are great, and I would love to see the shows again someday. Because Weber in his early careers approached conceptualizing the musicals before having any plots or stories, they have their own merits of storytelling that had not been found in previous musicals, or at least so I thought. Most of Weber's shows feel as if the songs are more important than the stories. And even if that was not intentional, I think song-centric musicals are still very valid and may even be more preferred by the general public. Also, Weber does have some variety in writing styles. His musicals range from somewhat romantic, operatic writing to British rock and even American rock and roll in some cases. His variety in musical styles that he employs creates a sense of surprise. For example, when the King Herod sings his song in Jesus Christ Superstar, it feels out of place, very out of place. The song is this comical, lighthearted, semi-rock and rock and roll kind of song, which is not what the audience anticipates based on what people are used to imagining in the Christ story leading up to crucifixion. Uh, another sense of surprise that he often creates is through this quirky sense of humor in his musical style. The lyrics of King Herod's song are not serious, but they're not humorous either. The wit strictly comes from the music itself, along with the context of the song's placement in the show. He also does write serious, somber songs that touch many people's hearts, like the ones from The Phantom of the Opera. When I reflect on these elements of Weber, I'm must recognize that he had something to offer to Broadway musical history. But what about my negatives towards Weber? Well, after discussing the positive aspects of him, just like the title of this episode suggests, I will offer some other insights that I have about him 
and his music. First of all, I always felt about this, even when I didn't always speak English this fluently, but I feel like there is this awkwardness of music and the lyrics in all of his songs. If you listen to his songs, they are more difficult to sing than other songs that might have been composed in a similar range. Take, for example, The Music of the Night from Phantom of the Opera versus Who Am I from Les Miserables. Uh, I think comparing those two demonstrate the issue very clearly. If you read The Music of the Night, all the high notes are sung in a closed vowel sound. You'll hear, let your soul, no, no, and then the high note is sung in me. Very clear E-E sound. Um, while the singers are expected to sing regardless of the difficulty of the songs, I think this, to me, illustrates how either Weber doesn't think the songs as songs, but rather as melody lines played on an instrument, in which the vowel sound is not a major concern, or the lyricist who's working with Weber to write all of these songs are not concerning where to place each rhyming sound or or words for the singer's comfort. On the other hand, if you read Who Am I from Les Mis, you'll realize that all the high notes are open vowel sound, allowing the actors to sing with more ease than they do with Weber songs. How is this an issue, though? Because it wouldn't be an issue if musical theater was a concert where the audience enjoys singers' performances, where the audience can clearly hear the technical difficulties. But for me, personally, if I go see a musical, I don't necessarily want to feel like the actors are showing off their struggle with the technical aspect of the songs when they're supposed to portray and tell me the stories in their characters. Of course... This might be just an opinion spoken by a minority side of musical theater lovers, but I want to emphasize the importance of stories in musical theater. The word theater still tells me that even musicals are supposed to focus on a certain aspect of storytelling. Songs are just there as a helpful element that could amplify the emotional context of the characters in a story, but when they become the sole center of the attention, they might not serve the story any longer, but the story might be serving them. The second issue that I really have is the questionable creativity. His songs are very listenable, and while I'm not the type of musicians who claim that if songs are listenable or hummable that they are plagiarized, I'm not the type of person who claims that, but he has been accused of plagiarism numerous times in the past, and you can find videos after videos of the accusations on YouTube, and you can find this on Wikipedia. Then again, as Valerie and I discussed in the past, plagiarism is a difficult subject in music simply because there is so much music being created, even in this moment you're listening to this episode, that I don't know if I'm necessarily willing to create my negative emotion centered around this issue. 
the only thing that I would just say is that I still think Weber's songs are still questionably similar to some of the other songs that have been accused or even the ones that haven't been accused of plagiarism. The last issue that I really have with Weber is when he decided to pursue another strand of career on Broadway, and that is impresario. Uh, I'm not sure if there's any difference between an impresario and a producer, but I think it's the same thing. If not, please let me know in the comments. He would produce shows and share opinions based on how successful the shows are commercially. This is where I have a problem. <laughs> so he wouldn't necessarily produce the shows as a creative person. He was strictly approaching it as a businessman. And while there could be an argument, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it's 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 a bad thing for a fellow creative person. For example, there was a huge controversy of him not attending the closing performance of Bad Cinderella, which was known as just Cinderella when it was closing on West End in England. Many accused him of being focused on money and nothing else concerning the production that he was a part of as a creative personnel. This was not the only time he, he caused a controversy. Aside from his political opinions in England, which I know very little about, so I'm not even going to talk about that, he has said that the Phantom of the Opera will reopen hopefully soon on Broadway again. Or to the effect of that, I might be, uh, I might be summarizing that sentence or paraphrasing it pretty much. Now, Phantom has been running since 1988, or better yet, 1987. Many might confuse that the Phantom was so popular that it was just constantly being revived every once in a while, but actually it just never closed once it it never closed once since its opening performance until 2023. Then he comes out to the stage, says that he hopes to see Phantom again on Broadway. Now, call me whatever you want. I think this is too much. He's expressing the level of greed that he possesses much more obviously than he thinks. He's one of the richest, if not the richest, composers in the world. To tell you the scope of how rich he is, he's even richer than Paul McCartney, which is just mind-boggling. I think these things really bug me outside of his personal life or his life as a creative person. Again... We can't like everyone that we listen to. There has to be someone, a musician, an artist, who will just not click with you on a positive a positive level. I think that's still good for a few reasons. One, you can reflect on your own artistry by observing the artists that you don't like. If you don't like their art, uh, if you don't like the artist, start to question why that is, why you don't like the artist. Is it something related to your sense of aesthetics? Is it something related to your own taste? So that's a great place to start, and that's a great reason to have an artist you don't like. And another reason that's tied to that reason is that it further pushes you to establish or solidify the opinions that you might have. 
It's different from being opinionated. Having a solid opinion through questions and answers within yourself by understanding what you don't like in a certain art form might be a necessary step to improve and develop your identity within your artistry. So with that said, you might disagree with the things that I don't like about Weber, and some of you might disagree with the things that I like about Weber. That's okay, but I think it was necessary for me to share the lesson that I learned from listening to an artist that I don't like. There's always going to be someone that you don't like, but you have to always, to a degree, and with a grain of salt, (laughs) understand why that artist is either successful or why that artist is highly regarded by so many people. And based on my experience of reflecting that on Weber, it gave me some sense of direction in understanding further about music, further about musical theater, and further about how he's different as a producer than he is as a composer. And so I think if there's an artist that you dislike, go for it. You can have your opinions about that artist, but don't ever just stop with not liking that person, especially if you're going to be an artist yourself. Always start asking questions why you don't like that artist in particular. And I think there's a lot of great insights that you can gain from that. So that's it for today. Today was a pretty short one. And until next time, enjoy music. Bye.